This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, halawallah, Ramadan Karim, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Salik Musa. It is the second hour, and we have a very special edition of the Page Turner as we welcome back to the studio Her Excellency Manal Ataya, Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority. She's going to be sharing her picks of her favorite reads, and what an amazing selection it is. We're going to be talking, harnessing, the power of anxiety with sarah wilson's first we make the beast beautiful mark haddon's brilliant breakout novel the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and the mystery and magical realism of haruki murakami's the wind up bird chronicle plus we'll be getting an update on all of the latest happenings at Sharjah museums everything from their accessibility programs incorporating sign language across Sharjah museums to their Ramadan campaigns where you can experience the holy month at the Museum for Islamic Civilizations for free. Plus, we're going to be getting a sneak peek into a special exhibition that Sharjah Museums is planning for this year's book fair featuring one of the most beloved authors of all time. All of that and more is coming up next right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner. On Life Beats with With Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Pulse 95. It is indeed the Page Turner on Life Beats, our weekly segment where we talk the books, authors, and ideas that have had the greatest impact on us today. I am so excited to have a special guest uh, on the show to share some of her favorite reads, one of Sharjah's powerhouse women, none other than the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority, Her Excellency Manal Ataya. Hello, Allah, and welcome back. Rafiq, thank you, Sally, for having me this morning. First of all, Ramadan, Kareem. Thank you, same to you. We're all in the Ramadan spirit at the moment. It's uh, so good to have you back. Uh, but before we kind of uh, get into your books, you've chosen three amazing books. I can't wait to get to them. Uh, We'd love to get to talking about Sharjah Museums. What's happening? What's going on? There are lots of updates, including things that we've been talking about here on Life Beats, uh, like the accessibility programs that you have going, and as well, uh, Sharjah uh, Museum of Islamic Civilization as well is free this month in the month of Ramadan. Where do you want to start? Let's go. Um, all right, let's see. We can probably start with accessibility. Um, We've had quite a lot of programs that we've been initiating in the last few months this year. We're very proud to be doing that. Um, sorry, I have to apologize that my voice is probably not the best today, but we're both fasting and I'm, I'm very amazed at how well you, you can uh, speak for so long. I'm going to probably struggle a little bit, but I'll do my best. Um, we've had a couple of programs that we... Well, we initiated the Accessibility Services and Programs um, Division in our education department over 10 years ago. So we've been doing this for quite a while now. And we usually, initially when we started, we usually focused on a couple of 
obvious disabilities, more like visible disabilities. Um, so we would look at how we could make the museums more accessible in terms of physical access to the museums. But we also, you know, with time and with education and learning um, from other uh, institutions, we knew it's very important to find ways where we can work on other types of dis disabilities that are often not very visible, right? So not physical so much, but more cognitive or um, learning or, mo you know, things like that. So we started working on a variety of different programs over the last 10 years. We've been providing um, particular programs for people with different disabilities but also for their families and other groups that may not have disabilities but we want them to be able to have a sort of workshop let's say or an experience together um, so that they're not isolated if you see what I mean I think we've we've made a mistake um, we as in the world has made a mistake of making there be a division between people with abilities and people with disabilities. I don't even like using those words, to be honest. I think you just have people who have certain things they can do and others who have a bit more ch more challenges with things that they can do. And I don't believe we need we should segregate those types of people or groups from one another. So when necessary, we do that. It depends on the severity of things. But generally speaking, um, a person like me should be able, if I'm able to see, I should be able to have a workshop with with also someone who's unable to see and still enjoy that experience because we both have a specialist or the what we're working on um, able to cater to both needs. So I think that's very important and we've been trying to do that a lot so that when someone comes, because often you'll find someone with a, um, a disability is probably the only person in our family who has that. And so they come and they'll feel quite alone. They'll come into a workshop and their mother or father or other siblings will not be with them. And I think that's not healthy. I think it's important for all of them to do these activities together. So we've been doing a lot to integrate, I guess would be the word, integrate everyone together, um, make our workshops inclusive of all people. So it isn't one or the other. It's for everyone. But we have people trained to to focus on spe specific needs of specific people. Um, and so we recently launched uh, a couple of programs. We launched um, one that we were very proud of just about, I think it's been three weeks ago now. And this has been the one for um, the hearing um, impaired. So this is a program where we're training our guides to give uh, sign language um, I love this yeah we talked uh, about tours. this on live feeds it was just brilliant it was really well um, you know uh, received and I think people were just loving learning this like new language basically and being able to help other people the reaction there was one reaction from one visitor who started speaking in sign language but actually didn't expect anybody to respond. And you had people at the reception, at the front desk, yes. who were able to respond, and they were just completely taken aback. Exactly. I think it's it's amazing how much we don't realize that we function in a world that really makes people with who are not maybe like the majority feel very isolated. Differently abled. Yes, exactly, exactly. Differently abled make them feel that somehow they don't fit in because they don't have people who can understand um, their needs and are able to make them feel welcome. And I, f I, I can only imagine how um, lonely that must feel sometimes for people to walk into 
for example, a museum or a supermarket or anything else, and realize that they're going to have a lot of difficulty trying to um, get what they need or express themselves because the people around them have no idea even how to attempt to do that. Exactly. There's a difference between, you know, I would love it if everyone could learn sign language, and I'm I'm hoping to sign up this year to do it myself. But I also think I want to do it too. It's just the understanding. Do you know what I mean, Sally? Like you want to you want people to just feel a bit more of the empathy about exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, maybe you don't know how to do it, but at least you don't get frustrated. At least you don't get um, upset about someone who you can't communicate with. I think it's trying to figure out how you can understand, um, maybe uh, be more patient, be more um, empathetic to situations where people can't do things physically or can't do things, you know, um, cognitively, etc. I think that is amazing. I, I've kind of had that in a different situation about a year ago when I I'm, I was with someone who has Alzheimer's um, he's a friend family friend and I didn't know his Alzheimer's got so bad and the last time I had seen him we were in each other's company for about an hour or so and he repeated things to me about 20 times um, including like hello how are you forgetting that he had seen me and I didn't real until that point I said th- I thought to myself I haven't really been in this situation very often and I could see by the third time I was starting to get a bit like oh my god yes am I gonna have to repeat this again like I'm trying to also have a conversation with other people and he's I felt so horrible that you know he was in the situation he didn't know that he didn't already say hello and ask the same questions and I thought to myself you have two choices you can either be pretty much a terrible person and get frustrated and annoyed and ignore this person and be you know and not deal with it or you can take all you have inside you and say I'm going to learn from the situation to be a better person and understand that this person is suffering they don't know what they're, that they're doing this and you know have compassion for someone who is in this situation and be patient and just answer the questions again and again and again and that's what I did and by the time the night was over, I didn't feel an, any more annoyance or anything. I just felt, you know, it's that's tough. That's very tough to be in that situation. It really is. But, you know, just huge applause to uh, Sharjah Museums for putting in place these programs. And just like you said, you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. But you're expanding on it. You're doing yes, more. For which autism, is incredibly for all kinds of different things as well. So, yeah, it's important that people just be aware that there are all these different um Uh, different uh, abilities um, and we have to learn about them as much as possible bring our family or friends that may suffer from some of these things or be you know trying to live with these different um, um, abilities and how we can just integrate everyone together and be more understanding and like I said just have compassion make because, it more inclusive yeah because you can you just takes a bit of effort basically speaking of inclusion uh, Ramadan is here yes. and really it's a time you know where we get together with fla- family and friends not just those who are Muslim or who are our own family you know this is a time to share with everybody which uh, makes it a perfect opportunity to visit the Museum uh, of Islamic Civilization yes, in Sharjah. Absolutely. I mean, going from compassion to Islam, I think, is a great also connection. I mean, where else can you learn to have more compassion for the world around you and for people who have less than you or 
or have different things than you um, than this time of the month I think where people really reflect on a lot of those things mm. that's what a lot of what to me Ramadan is about there's a lot of of course ritualistic things whether it's fasting or prayers of tarawih etc but there's also how do you self-reflect you know inside yourself about who you are as a person what are your shortcomings where are you getting frustrated or being angry or being ungrateful about things that you know in your life that you need to think no I should be more grateful I should be more thoughtful I should be more compassionate I should have more love for people and understanding and these are these are good things to to think about and I think um We all do them on our own, but often we should do them as groups, I think, talking about these things, especially with your kids and other people. And for, for that reason, uh, the Islamic uh, Museum, the Civilization Museum in Sharjah, we really want, we've done this now for a couple of years, we always want the museum to be accessible during Ramadan. We feel like it's a great time for people to have really no barriers to coming to the museum, to learn about what Islam can be or is, um, In, you know, for societies and and millions of people across the world, um, hundreds of millions of people, or is it a billion now? More than a billion. Yeah, more um, than a billion. And, more and than a billion. This is like a great opportunity as well to understand the uh, the impact that Islam and Islamic thinking exactly has exactly. had all on the our world. All the positive things. Yes, yeah. I think this is the time to learn about it. But I also think it's it's a great opportunity for people who are Muslim themselves who often don't know a lot about let's say the some of the history um the the the, the civilization um of thousands of years ago of different things that have happened whether in science and technology or in the arts but then for people who are not muslim which we have a lot of non-muslims living here i think it's wonderful for them to be able to come to a museum and learn about the faith and as well as see the beauty of of what the islamic culture has created over time Um, museums, again, I always say are a safe space. I feel they're a space where, you know, a lot of people who are not Muslim feel like they don't understand why people do certain things, uh, why Muslims do certain or practice certain things. Uh, they have questions, but they're scared to ask them or they feel embarrassed that they don't know. And I think it's a great opportunity to come and learn on your own or with your friends, um, Muslim or non. And There's so much information there about why people fast, why people uh, pay zakah, you know, what's what's the importance of pilgrimage, etc. So these are all important things for people to learn. This is fantastic. I love it. It is free entry. Yes. So please come anytime during the day. Our timings are on the website because we have special timings for Ramadan. But we would love to have people bring as many people as they'd like from their family and friends to come see love the museum. It. I love it. Uh, make sure you do get down there. Uh, coming up next, we are going to be kicking off with the first oh, yes. book uh, <laughs> that uh, you've recommended for us today. Uh, it is First, We Make the Beast Beautiful, a new story about anxiety by Sarah Wilson. That's coming up next here on Life Beats. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the page turner. The page turner. On Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Yes, we are uh, going through an amazing selection of books uh, that Her Excellency Manal Ataya, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority, has chosen for us this week. She is our special guest. Um, so take us through this first book by Sarah Wilson, Manal. 
Um, so Sarah Wilson, I think, is writing cookbooks or something at the moment. You know, she's yeah, she is. Yeah, something no about waste. Yes, cookbook. exactly, exactly. She has a very new look uh, or approach, let's say, to cooking and mainly about no sugar in food. And that's what she's famous for. Yeah, and this is coming out of her realizing that sugar was not good for her. Um, s- sort of mental state of being and she really believes that they are things that can trigger sort of um, uh, bad um, or have bad reactions to your body and I think sugar I mean pretty much we think we know sugar is pretty bad for you generally speaking Um, so she's not saying anything new but she's really talking about it also from a a point of well if you suffer from certain um, issues maybe sugar isn't something you should uh, in, you know have regular intake of but I read her book not really having looked at her uh, current books only because I actually liked when I went to the bookstore I saw that cover um, I don't know if you see the, if you know the cover of the book but there's this is a uh, yeah for first we make the beast beautiful yeah. a new story about anxiety exactly it mm. was it was the it was the name the title of the book and that octopus that's on the book that drew me right to it and I love that that the, the title, this idea of making the be- the beast beautiful, because I had heard that proverb before. So I was I had no idea what the book was about. I quickly flipped through it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is meant for me to, to read because I suffer from anxiety. I always have. And I thought, I've never read a book about it though. So I picked it up and I have to say, um, this book for me was very special because for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, it's not a self-help book. It's not a book to treat anxiety. She's not a doctor, so I want to just make that clear to everyone. This is more of a personal account of someone with a form of anxiety, which is relatively severe, with a combination of some other things that she has. But for me, what I loved about the book is I just found so many parts of it relatable to me. I read it and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. I've done the same thing. I felt the same things. And, And also just the struggle of feeling sometimes alone when you have something like anxiety and and I mean not just I'm stressed or I have I'm anxious but pretty severe anxiety what's your experience with it well for me I mean it's something I'm only becoming more vocal about I think in the last few years and I think people like Sarah Wilson or Matt um, Haig I think is how yes, you say his Matt name Haig, yeah. exactly Haig is is become very um, helpful in letting us talk about these things because they put it much more on on stage and I'm also proud that like Prince Harry and Meghan I think and um, Prince William and his wife uh, Kate also the Dutch um, they've all uh, just started a helpline for mental health yes. in the UK and so basically I'm saying a lot of celebrities a lot of people in the media are talking about these issues and making them less of a stigma and I think for that reason I've become much more vocal about the fact that since teenage since a teenager and uh, teenage years I had a severe anxiety which really led to a lot of panic attacks and insomnia and inability to sleep and just always worrying and and having lots of running thoughts about many things and it continued on in life. However, what I loved about her book is she talks about how there is a good side to anxiety. Um, and it's about accepting that that's part of who you are, especially if it is really who you are. It's not a phase. It's not a, um, a reaction to a particular thing. It's something that you've had for, for your whole lifetime, which she has had. And this idea of accepting the, be- the, uh, the you know, making the beast beautiful is that realizing that in yourself you might have something that people consider a beast right often in society today people continually try to tell you that you know 
to be strong, to be a leader, to be successful, you can't have any problems. You have to somehow be perfect. You can't have anxiety and you shouldn't be sad and you shouldn't always, you should always be happy and positive. But I realize these are not realistic things. Everyone goes through um, struggles and challenges and anxiety and other things. And I think we have to realize that we should feel more comfortable feeling those things, but knowing how to health, you know, healthily manage with, you know, healthy management of those types of um, feelings and understand them better, self-reflect better and learn how to um, deal with them in a way that, you know, makes sense for us and for the people around us as well, who can help us and support us as well. And I, what I liked about her book in particular, like I was saying, was that she she made it, me realize that a lot of good things about me actually come from anxiety. So I wouldn't be uh, a person probably as successful as I am today because if I didn't have my anxiety. My anxiety made me study a lot harder than everybody else because I worried that I didn't study hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> I worried that I didn't read enough. I didn't worry that I, I wouldn't remember things. So I always was very diligent with note taking, with reading with uh, checking things continuously. So if I wrote a paper, I would check it probably 30 times for spelling mistakes or for anything else. And other people probably did it once or twice, if that. So that's led me to have kind of an eye for a lot of detail, eye for organization, for planning things in advance, um, and for always having a plan A, B, and C for any situation, which actually has come in very handy in my job today. Because <laughs> when you work as in management and for so many museums and for over 500 staff, you need to have a plan B and C. And I'm usually not even plan C and D. I have an E and an, and an F <laughs> and it goes on. And that's good because they've come up, you know, I've had situations where things have not gone to plan. We've had sort of a bit of a chaotic situation. And I'm usually the most calm because I'm like, I know exactly what to do because I've already thought about it and already planned it and figured it out. And a lot of people uh, don't have those skills and I've realized that I think and I really truly believe now that those skills came from from the anxiety. So as much as it's it's been a very big struggle and there's a lot I'm, I'm not painting it, you know, just that it's a it's a great thing. There's a lot of pain that comes with anxiety yeah. um, for sure. But I'm realizing now that there's also some good to it. And so not to hate it too much and to be more accepting of you know who you are. And, um, and I think that's what I got out from this book the most. It is an amazing book. Uh, and uh, coming up next, right after the Half Past Headlines, we are actually going to be hearing from Sarah Wilson herself about how she describes anxiety as her superpower. That's coming up next here on The Page Turner on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the page turner. The page turner. On Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Pulse 95. Yes, Her Excellency Manal Daya is here, and we are discussing the book by uh, Sarah Wilson. First, we make the beast beautiful. And uh, here is Sarah Wilson herself. Uh, talking with Carson Daly about how anxiety is actually her own personal superpower. I describe it as a beige buzzing because it's sort of heavy and dark and it's 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 always there. It's always there in my head. Um, it's as long as I can remember. 
You actually refer to it as a superpower that you possess. Yeah, I do. And I think uh, we are a generation who haven't heard anxiety cast in those terms. It's been medicalized. It's a problem. You try to dial it down. Oh, and if people survive and, and thrive and become business people, oh, it's because they've got their anxiety in check. Right. Well, in fact, it's the anxiety that brought them to that place. I wrote this book because I wanted to have a different conversation. People are going to want to have anxiety by the is. time we're done with that. <laughs> My anxiety spirals are all in my head. Okay. So they're a thought, and then another thought on top of that, and then that thought there, and what if that, and I should be able to do that. Can it happen when you're in conversation with somebody at dinner? Can your brain sort of take over? Oh, yes. And then you go, oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing, but I'm not, this person probably thinks I'm crazy. In social situations, it can be particularly difficult at parties, um, anything where there's, I'm, I'm kind of aware of what's going on, and then my thoughts are going somewhere else. What's your youngest memory of it? When I was about seven, going to school, and I missed two bus stops because the woman next to me was wearing perfume, and part of the anxious experience is being super sensitive to sounds and smells and pretty much everything. Her perfume distressed me so much that I had to put my head down and I, you know, I missed two bus stops. At the same time that Sarah worries her anxiety has caused her to miss some of life's moments, she also credits a disorder for her desire to connect. They seem to be paradoxical. I mean, look at you. You converse with millions of people every day. Right. Um, I write. That's my way of communicating. And it seems like they're contradic contradictory. I don't think they are. We need to do both. We need to pulse between the two. Sure. I get a little nervous. I get panicky. I have tools that I've achieved that help me sort of get through those anxious spirals, as you refer to them. But the other side of it, when I accomplish something, I get the chills. My, yeah. my, my successes and victories are enormous. You very much embrace the excitement that comes with it. I think the anxious often have these like expressive quirks, let's call it a quirk, you know. Every single one of my books I handwrite on napkins in restaurants, on the back of receipts, on the back of a plane ticket. It's just all there and then I right. piece it together. It's chaos, but I bring it together. The beauty, Sarah says, is in that process of trying to pull it all together, even when it may seem impossible. This conversation is about sort of saying, it's okay, you're not alone. There's a reason why you fret. There's something important that you're fretting about. You know, you care. That's something that anxious people, I believe, really have in common, and I think it's one of the most beautiful things. I agree. About the beast that we have to live with. I agree, the beautiful beast. You care. I love that, you care. This is, you know, one of the biggest thing, isn't it, Manal? Uh, when we're talking about anxiety, it's, you know, re shifting that conversation, as uh, Sarah is saying there, um, and reframing it as actually, this is what drives certain people to be as successful, as intelligent, as creative um, as they are. Yeah, I think when she speaks about it just now hearing her say that there's so much I mean I feel like I could have said all of that myself I mean I I don't ever want to you know minimize people who have anxiety when they're going through a rough rough patch with anxiety you know there's good and there's good and bad with it there's ups and downs with it but I think what she's trying to say is we know all the downs that's what people have been focusing on forever and now she's like why don't we just also mentioned that there's a lot of ups to it and let's you know accept those and be proud that there are certain ele elements 
from the upside that really help us to get to where we want to be, like you said, either to be more caring or more successful and be able to do things. And I usually refer to myself often as a high-functioning person with anxiety, and that's what they refer to it as. But it just means that, generally speaking, my anxiety works in my favor, but there are definitely times it doesn't. And I think that's the hardest times. But I'm looking at it now from a perspective of, I have to live with both, you know, I'm not going to be able to get rid of one and keep the one that I want. It just doesn't work like that. And I think for so many years, I struggled with that. I thought there was a way to somehow get rid of it. And there isn't. I I love what she says as well, that, you know, usually this is the kind of thing, like you said, to get rid of it, to just kind of medicate it away. Exactly. To just, you know, as if getting rid of it is the answer, but actually it's not. Or in worse situations, people try to shame it away, right? Yes. So in some societies that don't even accept it as something where you take medicine for, they just shame you into feeling like you should not feel that way. I mean, you know, 60 years ago, women were shamed into thinking that this is not, you know, hysteria. Yes, exactly, exactly. The craziness of that. Um, But you know, this is uh, incredible, this amazing book. Um, Let's talk about the second book uh, that you have on your list, and it is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. Oh, yeah, this book, this is a, this probably, this is probably one of my favorite books in that it is unlike anything I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, One quote that I love someone well, I don't know who said it, but they obviously were smart. They said, if you're reading if you're reading the books that other people are reading, then you're thinking the way everyone else is thinking. And I think this was one of the books where I was definitely no, no one else I knew was reading this book. And I read it. Um, and I think it's very important to always read things that are maybe, not, you know, that you wouldn't not normally read or that don't come recommended to you. I literally was given this as a book, as a gift, because I was in a bookstore with a friend. And I just read, again, the title. And I thought, oh, that's a funny title. And then just because she saw that I said that, she bought it for me as a present. So I was, there was no intention to read it. I hadn't, I didn't even look at the back of it. I just thought I liked the cover because there was like a dog on it. And then the name of it was quite funny. But once I read it, it was just fascinating. This So this book is sort of written from the perspective of a, a teenager who has, they, they don't always, they don't articulate very clearly, but it's some form of an Asperger syndrome or like a high functioning autism or, or, or high spectrum, you know, on the high end of the spectrum for autism. Um, but the writer has always said he didn't want to label that person because I, I get that because once you do that, then all you're thinking about is this is a person with autism. But what he wanted people to think about when they read this book was this is about a person who who happens to have some kind of a, uh, in the, let's call it a superpower, um, and it makes them see the world in a different way, and it's in and that and that's a good thing in, in in a lot of ways. Kind of kind of how Sarah talks about anxiety in many ways. There's some maybe difficult aspects to it, but there are also some great things to it. And in his book, it's not about someone with autism. It's just this person happens to have it. It just makes them who they are and it enhances who they are as a person. But the story is just, it's just really funny and interesting. But I think what I loved about it more than anything, and you have to see the book to know. So if you look at the book, it actually is, it's not like a regular book. So when you start to read it, you actually, this is also what I mentioned earlier, you get frustrated 
because you you're expecting to read it like a regular novel you're like it has to have chapters and pages and everything kind of reads like a book chronologically yeah but it doesn't so it it really is almost like you're in the mind of this person and there's funny annotations and like numbers and uh, diagrams and like and almost you feel like you go off on tangents because someone is and I and I loved it because I thought this is ex- probably this is a lot like how maybe people do function and often kind of how I feel like sometimes I function sometimes I'm very focused but then I kind of go off into a completely different area and um and we often do that in our mind and yes. we, nobody knows about it <laughs> but here it's all on a pa- it's all on the page and I found that so fascinating because I really felt it gives you this really interesting way to understand the mind of someone who sees yeah sees the world differently who understands um things and sometimes cannot understand things that we understand sort of like emotions or um you know symbolism this person takes things very literally and that can cause some issues and i think it was it's a wonderfully moving uh book to read it gives you this really wonderful um ability to understand i think to some extent what it is i mean anyone who uh, people who work in in uh, autism and doctors etc who read this book all said that he gave an an unbelievable account of actually what it is like wow. to be even though he's continued to say I'm not an expert I you know I I I I don't I didn't write this with doctors you know input but he just he he based it on a few characters and then he tried to imagine what it would be like I guess from reading books also about Asperger's and and, and autism and it, it, it I think he did it brilliantly he did it brilliantly it's become one of the most popular books out there it was published in 2003 yeah a while ago but um, never heard of it yes yeah, yeah. starring uh, well the, the the protagonist of of the story is Christopher John Francis Boone um, and actually it's been made into a play as oh, well excellent. into a Broadway play which has also been incredibly successful let's listen to a little bit from that My name is Christopher John Francis Boone. I like maths, outer space, looking after Toby, and I see everything. I read the book quite shortly after its first publication in 2003 because it was one of those books that everybody was reading. I was absolutely convinced that my novel was unfilmable and unstageable. And Simon's genius was to realize that I was completely and utterly wrong. I knew that the key to it was that Murray and Elliot had to direct it. I felt that it would be wonderful to be immersed in it, breathing the same air as Christopher does, completely inside his head. People who love the novel, I think, will be dazzled by Marianne's imagination. People who don't know the novel, I think, will fall in love with Christopher Boone. Winner, Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night It's just very beautiful and poignant, absolutely blown away by it. It's an astonishing piece of theatre. I saw a play last night that I want to encourage everybody to see. It's the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Everything about it is incredible. I saw an amazing show last night. These performances knocked me, I, I mean... 
<laughs> that was Whoopi Goldberg going on about it. Uh, but you had Macy Williams in there. Yeah. Uh, you had heard Tom Hiddleston, everybody who'd seen this play, uh, all about this particular book uh, that we're talking about, um, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Uh, just incredible. The book is amazing. Uh, of course, Tony, Olivier Award-winning Broadway play now as well. Oh, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's I had fantastic. no idea. I have to see this Next play. Next time you're in the U.S. I will, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, if there's any message from this book that I've left with is that you often can see or you what you perceive sometimes in a person who is different can be initially uh, difficult or you know puts you off but then you realize with time you fall in love with those quirks and those oddities or differences and I think that's the nicest thing about this book. Definitely one to add to yeah. your list if you haven't gotten around to reading that book yet uh, but we're going to come to your favorite book of all oh, time yes. that is next right here on the page turner. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner on Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. I tell you what, I'm so loving this uh, special edition of the Page Turner today. We're going through uh, some of Her Excellency Manal Atlaya's. Uh, picks for her favorite reads and right now we are going to be talking about your favorite book of all time this is the wind up bird chronicle by haruki murakami translated by jay rubin yes so murakami murakami is a it's a love affair with murakami once you read i think any of his books and you get it and you understand it in some way that it means something to you you will obsess about every book after it and you will read all his books until till like right now i've probably read oh my gosh he's written many books i think i'm just maybe three of them that i haven't read but i've read all of the others wow. and they're considered difficult books as in they're they're not for an, an average person to read they have a lot of a lot of symbolism metaphor um they're they're under the genre of um ma- magical realism which yes. i think is also a very kind of niche area <laughs> and um i think a lot of people struggle with it initially because it's just not straightforward or it's it, it starts off that way and then it kind of goes off into a different realm but for me once i read his book and this was i think this was the first book i read I just loved it and I and I couldn't put it down and that rarely happens with me. I think I mentioned to you earlier in the break how I often read a couple of books at the same time. But this one is impossible. When you when you're reading Murakami, you don't read anything else and you you almost I mean you don't know where the hours go. Like that rarely happens too. Like I'm usually aware like oh I'm going to read an hour, an hour and a half, but with him I'd read it for hours and hours or I'd look at the time and it was like 3 a.m. in the morning I'm like I can't believe I'm still reading this like I've been sitting here for four hours for example that is a rare thing for me because um, often I my focus is not always that great especially with certain with books in general I think maybe never I never found the book that really could catch me that way attention attention wise because um, up until that point I've always read uh, nonfiction so um, I kind of always liked history books 
things that are like autobi- you know, biographies, real life, uh, you know, articles or, or books, um, psychology, things that I've inter- been interested in. But th- this was this is as far from nonfiction as you can get. It's fiction on another level, and I honestly thought in a million years that I would love a book like this. But this book, I think, or Murakami in general, why I think he's a genius, and if you read his um, bio, I mean, he's impressive person. So I mean, he is Japan's most highly regarded novelist. Well, yeah, and <laughs> globally as well. I mean, he's won. Yes. I, I mean, a plethora of awards, major awards, literary awards. I, I believe he's even. I think he's probably going to win the Nobel at some point for literature. Honestly, for what he's done, his Incredible. work is extremely special. But I mean, he, you know, he didn't start writing until he was in his 30s, and he hadn't written before. It's pretty amazing how he just started to to write. And but what I love about all his books, um, like I mentioned before, is that they, it's like. It's, it takes part in a very realistic situation. Like right now, like this would be a perfect setting for a Murakami book. A radio station, a radio host, and just your regular kind of daily routines that aren't anything very special, but then something odd happens. Um, a very weird, you know, a little thing that then becomes a very different world in its own and somehow you you end up living two in two worlds in and parallel lives. yeah that's exactly. what happens here actually <laughs> so in a tokyo suburb a young man named toru okada uh, searches for his wife's missing cat soon he apparently finds himself looking for his wife as well in a netherworld that lies beneath the placid surface of Tokyo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, and that's what's <laughs> funny because the first few chapters is about a man looking for a cat. Do you see what I mean? Very relatable. I've lost many of my cats. <laughs> and it's very normal, you know, walking through the streets, describing the people he's seeing, the houses, looking for this cat he can't find. And then somehow it's almost like he ventures into another place and then weird things kind of start to to start to happen and one leads to another it's like a snowball effect and before you know it you're in this other place and I think that's probably what's the most frustrating for people who read Murakami if they don't like this kind of genre is it often ends very also like there is not a it doesn't it doesn't close if you know what I mean There's it's no still closure in it. yeah it's kind of like oh what does that mean and you kind of go you're just you're suddenly just like your breath you really your breath is taken away and you're just like oh my god it ended and i just don't know what that means you're or what happened more questions. yeah exactly and you often then have to go back and try to figure out did that mean this was that was this really a symbol for that and it's and that's i think what i love about his books too is that you can read them probably yeah, dozens of times and you will you'll read more and understand more as you read it because it is really so completely symbolic in many ways. So almost like a you know a literary labyrinth. Yeah, and he loves the the, the idea of a labyrinth as a symbol as or metaphor in his things is very is almost in all his books. It's always about people somehow getting lost but how that leads them to a different place. Yeah. to a more interesting place. It can be dangerous, but it can often be somewhere where they find salvation or they find um, what they were looking for, things like that. So it's just super, I mean, it's just, 
it takes you to another place. This is way. amazing. <laughs> another one that I've uh, got to put on my list as well to read. The Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Um, we've come to the end of the show. Oh, wow. You're going to have to come back again and I talk about to. the special exhibition that you're doing. Yes. <laughs> should, I, should I make one little plug? Yes, I think you have to just tease it. Because it does, it does connect. Yes. Haruki Murakami actually was awarded the Hans Christian Andersen Literary Award in 2016. And we're going to have an exhibition of Hans Christian Andersen uh, next year for Book Capital. So if you all know who he is, he's a Danish of author of fairy tales. Yes. So all the famous Disney's adaptations. Little um, Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Thumbelina. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Emperor. The Emperor's uh, Clothes. Yeah. Clothes. New clothes yeah. Um, and all a, of those. a couple of others, yes, these were all his works. And, oh, The Ugly Duckling, which I always loved. Oh, of um, beautiful messages for children about acceptance or about love or this or that. And they're all in this um, all in this exhibition. So I can't wait to talk more about it next year when we have it. I know, I cannot wait. But I, this has been one of my favorite editions of The Page Me Turner. too, thank you. Manal, thank you so much. What thank an you. absolute pleasure. My always, pleasure, thank you. Always. And Ramadan Karim thank, to thank you. Thank you to everyone listening. Uh, Ramadan Karim and I hope we'll see you in the museum for sure everybody yes absolutely that's it for us here on Life Beats Uh, we'll see you again from 10am tomorrow morning this is Pulse 95 tune in live every weekday from 10am